Amazing grace. I love that song. It's, it's so meaningful when I think of the fact that it's God's grace that does it all for me. Not what I do, it's what God's done, and I am so thankful for his grace and his love, and not just for me, but for each and every one of you as well. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We started this passage a week ago, and uh, just talking about the idea of where we want to be as individuals at the end of 2019, where we want to be five years from today, ten years from today. How do we get there? I, I think of Paul, and Paul was a very successful individual. He was one who uh, completed the task that God had given to him. And, you know, he, he says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, up in the uh, 23rd verse, he says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. In verse 22, he says, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. And when I think of Paul, Paul was a soul winner. And he really had that goal set out that he was going to share Jesus Christ with people. And uh, that was a, a goal that he had. That was a priority. He knew exactly where he was going and what he wanted to do. And he planned out such a way that he would reach that goal. And that's really what we're talking about today as we get into this passage is that uh, we want to be able to move in such a direction that we can be where God wants us to be at the end of 2019 as individuals, where we can be what God wants us to be or where he wants us to be, say, in 2025, should Jesus tarry in coming back before then, and uh, how far ever out it goes. But it doesn't happen without planning. It doesn't happen without a little direction and knowing where we're going and what we're going to accomplish. I, I think of Paul, and boy, he, he must have been uh, one who, who loved sports. When you begin to think of some of the illustrations he uses, they didn't have basketball, they didn't have football, they didn't have golf. Maybe he would have used those illustrations if they had been there. <laughs> but they did have races, and they did have boxing, and they did have some of those things. And... Uh, you go back to Hebrews chapter 12, and in the uh, first and second verse, he says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, all those that we see that have gone before, men of faith, women of faith, let us lay aside every encumbrances, those things that are so heavy in the sin which so easily entangles us. It wraps us up. And let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. It isn't, a, it isn't a short race. He's not talking about running 100 meters. He's talking about a marathon. It's a lifelong race. And he says, what I'm going to do, and if you watch racers, they go out and they take off everything that's too heavy. I remember Bill Bowerman up in the University of Oregon when he was the coach up there. And it really became the capital, the track capital of the nation would go out. And I understand he would hand stitch the uh, running shoes of his runners at the University of Oregon. It's where Nike came from. And uh, he would put together the lightest shoes that he could so that they could run rapidly and not have anything holding them back. And, and so they would plan to win. They had that in mind. And when I look at Paul, he says, I, I want to run with endurance the race that's set before me. I want to run with endurance my life's race. You go back to 2 Timothy and you find out how successful he was. 2 Timothy chapter uh, 4. We're coming to the end of Paul's life. He, uh, he's 
given everything, and now he is in prison. He expects to lose his life in a short time, and he says, oh, I've fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. I, I finished the course. In the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. I've won the prize, which God, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but he says... Also to all who have loved his appearing. It's not a matter of the fact that one wins and the rest lose in Christianity. It's a matter of the fact that we can all win. We can all gain the prize. But boy, we need to be striving for that. You run the race in such a way that you might win. In fact, listen to our passage this morning. I want to read it to you again. We looked at it briefly last week, but I want to get into it uh, this morning. And uh, verse 24 through 27 First uh, Corinthians 9, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to follow along. If you'd like a Bible and you do not have one this morning, just raise your hand. We'll make sure one of our men gets you a Bible. Anybody want one? First uh, Corinthians chapter 9, and beginning in the 24th verse, you can turn there. We'll be coming back to this periodically this morning. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run? And... Uh, only one receives the prize. That was the case with the race in the Olympics. Uh, the Olympics were run uh, there in Greece. Uh, the Asthmus Games were uh, in Corinth, and that's really what he was talking about here, these great games. They were run every two years. Uh, they were second only to the Olympics in terms of importance. He says, run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who keeps in the games exercises self-control in all things, they then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body. I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. How many of you, uh, I talked about it a little bit last week. I won't have you raise your hands, but a number of you are... Uh, track athletes, uh, runners, field events, uh, those are the things. They would have those every two years there in Corinth. And they would come down to a field. They had a field that they had established, a racetrack, and it was uh, 602 feet long. It was a, a furlong. And uh, that would be just about 200 yards, 200 meters. It would be like our 200-meter race today. And they would come out at one end. There was a building down there. The runners would come out. They would take their mark. And they would run this 602 feet, and there was a pillar down there. And if they were just doing the 200 meter, they'd just run to there. And the crowd was all sitting up in the stands. They would go build it against a, a hillside, and they would make bleachers there where they could sit and cheer. And I'm sure the stands would be packed out uh, during those games. And, and if they ran the 400 meter, they would go down to this pillar, and they would turn around and have to run all the way back to where they had started, and there was another pillar there, and that's where they would finish. And that's what Paul is alluding to here. People who run these games, they, they would run to win. And, and just thinking about that, I, I thought about when I was a young, young man, I used to love track and field. I'd love to watch it. We'd turn on TV uh, every week there was a track meet on. We'd be watching that when I was growing up. And my brothers were in track and field, and I later on was, uh, was a mediocre high jumper. But I loved it. You know, it was great. And I liked to go to those meets. There isn't anything much more exciting than seeing about eight guys line up on one end 
of the racetrack and they're going to run 100 meters and they give everything they have and they're running as fast as they can and, uh, you know, to the prize goes the winner. Uh, anybody know who has been, he just retired, he has gone <laughs> into playing soccer. Anybody know who probably one of the greatest runners, sprinters of all time is that just uh, finished up probably one, two, I think the last two or three Olympics? Uh, you know who it was? Hmm? Bolt, yeah, they named a car after him. Usain Bolt. And uh, he was amazing because he's about 6'6", and he looks like he shouldn't be that fast. And you watch him run, and it's kind of like he's in slow motion. And then all of a sudden, about 25 yards from the finish, 50 yards from the finish, he just accelerates and goes by everybody else. And he is one who would run to win. And, and so I thought about it. And if you're going to be, and it, it gives you that idea when you think of a race here. You, do you not know that they all... All those who run in a race all run. And that's without, you know, without thinking. Of course they all run. But you need to know what kind of race you're running. If you're running a 100-yard dash or a 100-meter dash, you give it all you got. Man, everything that's there. 200 meters is pretty much the same way. Anymore, 400 meters is like that. Used to be that they would pace themselves for 1,500 meters. They don't do that much anymore. But they pace themselves for a marathon. If you give it all you have in that first 100 meters, you're probably not going to make it the rest of those miles. Right, David? Yeah. So so you pace yourself. You know how to run. And you need to know the kind of race you're in. And so when we're looking at the idea of running a race, even our spiritual race, uh, our walk with God, we need to know how to set up and know what that race is. Where's the finish line? What am I aiming at? What do I want to accomplish as I do that? And I think that's true in our spiritual walk. We need to be saying, Lord, where do you want me to be at this time? And how do I get there? That's the second thing. You need to be willing to plan that race. If they were running the Greek race, they would take 10 months. They would apply to be in the race, 10 months. And they would determine by the rules what they could eat, what they could drink, no alcohol, uh, what kind of sleep patterns they had to have. All of that was put in, and you would be disqualified. If you didn't do everything just perfectly. The day before the race, you would come and do a tryout. And if you weren't a good enough runner, after that 10 months, you'd be disqualified. And those last individuals would come out and they would run that race. So you prepare. You know how you're going to run the race. And then if you are a runner, I think most runners I know used to know whether they were going to start fast, whether they were going to start slow, if it was a long race, whether they were going to let what they would call the rabbit be out in front setting the pace for them or whether they were going to take the lead immediately. Uh, I remember a man by the name of Vern. He was on our track team when I was in college. Vern was a 10,000-meter runner. You know, I, the 100-meter was fun. You get out there and go, wow, this is quick, and boom, they're through. Ten seconds, it's over. Uh, but when they're running six miles, it takes a little longer. I remember you go get something to eat, something to drink. Vern's out there on the track going around and around and around this track. And... Uh, he was an amazing runner because he wasn't all that fast. But Vern knew that he had to run a faster pace than everybody else so that the sprinters couldn't catch him at the end. And he'd be out there a half a lap ahead or better than any of the others when they were coming into the finish. He won the district uh, in college. And uh, was just an amazing runner. But it was all based on uh, staying with it. He knew how to plan his race. And then, as we said last week, you need to get involved 
Let me take you back very quickly to Colossians. People sometimes say, well, what am I supposed to be doing as a Christian? I, I think when uh, Paul was praying for the Colossian believers, it gives us an idea of what we need to be seeking, what we need to desire. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 12, it says, For this reason, since we, the day we heard of it, we haven't to cease to pray for you, Paul said to the Colossian believers, to ask for this. This is what you need to be praying for. God, I want to be filled with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I want, to, I want to be moving that direction in 2019, Father, so that I can walk in a manner worthy of you. I want my life to be lived so that when people look at me, they would say, man, he is a follower of Jesus Christ. He's a Christian. I want to do it to please you in all respects, Father. I want to bear fruit in every good work, and I want to increase in the knowledge of God. I want to be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might, Father, not mine, because I really don't have that much power. I want to do it for the attaining of steadfastness. I don't want to be one who gets in the marathon and only makes it part way. I want to do it for patience. I want to joyously give thanks to you, Father, because you qualified me to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Father, those are things that I want to see in my life in 2019. Those are things that Paul prayed for other believers. And when I look at Paul, boy, he was a, he was a purpose-driven individual. He knew exactly what he wanted to accomplish. Go back to verse 19 uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 9. It says, For though I am free from all men, he says, I have liberties in my relationship with God. He says, though I'm free from all, it's not attaining my liberties and holding on to them, but it's important. He says, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more, so that I might see more come to know Jesus Christ. That's really my goal What is what Paul is saying. He goes down here um, Verse 22 and 23, we read it just a minute ago, but it says, to the weak, he says, I became weak. To those who have stipulations on their faith because they have these legalisms and they can't cross over them, he says, I become like them that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men. He says, my, my goal is not to be caught up with my liberties and my freedoms, but to look at the things I need to do in, other, in order to reach these men so that I may by all means win some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I might become a fellow partaker of it. See, Paul was driven by what he believed was important. We can do that for our secular jobs, and that's a good thing, but it may take you away from your relationship with God. You've got to be careful you're not putting an encumbrance on yourself that keeps you from growing. You can do it in terms of your hobbies, but they may become an encumbrance. Paul said, I know what I'm doing, and it isn't wrong to have those other things that we enjoy. The thing is, what do we focus on? What is our priority? I probably shared this Longfellow's poem. We know that first stanza, I shot an arrow into the air. It fell to earth, I know not where. And that's sometimes how we shoot our lives, folks. We go from day to day, just kind of doing whatever comes our way without ever stopping to think, where am I going and what is the result and what's going to happen as a result of this? 
shot an arrow into the air. It fell to earth. I know not where. I shot my life out when I was about 25, and wherever it goes, that's okay. But it really isn't, is it? You know, my heart goes out to kids that are in their teens, in early 20s, young people, young adults, because so often they make decisions not based on where am I going to be when I'm 50 and 60, but am I going to have fun today? And they reach those times when they're 40, 45, guys look back and we hear about midlife crisis. I don't hear about it so much anymore, but it's certainly there. And it's, what did I miss? Where am I going? What have I accomplished? Young people, it's important that you know who you spend time with and you know who you go out with and who you build relationships with and what you're involved in because it affects your whole life, not just a short time. There was an old cartoon, Charlie Brown. Charlie was uh, shooting a bow and arrow. He was out in the backyard, and there was a wood fence there, and bam, he'd hit the fence, and he'd go up and retrieve his arrow. Lucy came in. Lucy was always the one, and she came in. Charlie, what are you doing? She looked over at the fence. Here's all these targets, all these targets on the fence, and they all have a hole right in the middle. You remember that cartoon? Boy, it's been used a lot for illustrations. And, and, and she walked up. What are you doing, Charlie Brown? Well, I'm doing archery. I'm shooting archery. I'm, I'm shooting uh, the target. Show me what you got, Charlie. Show me. And, and he pulled up his bow, and he notched the arrow, and he pulled it back and let it fly, and it went into that fence, but didn't hit any of the targets. And she was kind of stunned. And all of a sudden, Charlie walked up. He had a couple paints, cans of paint there. He took a, a brush, and he began to paint his target around that arrow. She said, Charlie, what are you doing? She says, I'm painting the target. Why are you doing that? Because I don't want to miss. And each time he had painted a new target for where the arrow went. Look good. Sometimes that's the way people live their lives. They just shoot at the fence. And whatever it hits, they say, that's my target. They hit 55, 65, 70. And they look back and say, I, I, I hit a lot of targets. But not necessarily the ones I wanted to hit. Like the person, there was a, a fire in a building. He heard a scream for help up at the top of the building, firemen, and he ran up and he had his ladder and he put the ladder up against the building. And there was a, um, an alleyway in between these two tall buildings and he slapped his ladder up there and he climbed up because he heard the cry for help. And when he got to the top, he realized he'd put the ladder at the wrong building and the person on the other side was lost. You see, do we know where we're going? Have we aimed effectively? Do we know the target? Do we know what the race is about? Is it a long race? Is it a short race? Is it about spiritual life? Is it about secular pleasure? What's the purpose for what I live, for why I live? Uh, we live in a kind of purposeless society. In, in postmodern society, they say there are no absolutes. There's no real truth. What's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me, and, boy, it's just not true, is it? 
because there are truths. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other. He is the focus. He is the one we focus on. You know, I, I, I remember not too long ago reading a passage from the Bible, and the passage was very clear about who Jesus was. And I said, this is what it says about Jesus. The person didn't believe the same thing I did. And they said, well, that's your interpretation. I said, what do you mean? That's what it says. The person said, no, that's your interpretation. Mine's different. There are no two interpretations. There was one truth. And so we need to know what the truth is. We need to know what we're striving for. We can't just live a, a purposeless life. Uh, spur of the moment decisions. I love, I love spur of the moment decisions, where we're going to go to have lunch or what we're going to do, but that can't be what my life's based on. It's got to be more than that. Well, Paul likens our life to this race. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? And the implication was that they knew what that race was. They knew what they were to accomplish. Certainly Paul did. He said that in those previous verses, that his goal was to win some for Christ. Didn't want to miss out on the prize. And when we go back to 2 Timothy, it says, I've run the race and I've gained the prize. Because I planned. Because I knew where I was going. A person without purpose is rather directionless. That happens to a lot of people that retire. You ever notice that? They get through, they get through the job, and they go, whoa, this is great. Whew, we just get to take it easy now. And it isn't long until they go, there's got to be more. I think of my father-in-law who worked all of his life on the road crews in L.A. You go down and you drive on those freeways, or you sit on those freeways with all the rest of those cars. He built those. When he moved to Oregon at 62 years of age, he retired, and I know Mom Schumacher was so excited. They were going to go up, and they were going to have fun, and they were going to go fishing, and they were going to go do this and do that, and Dad said, I need something more. And he went out and got a job. He'd get up at 3 in the morning to go clean a bowling alley before anybody came and cleaned. Why? Because he needed the money? No. He needed something that gave him purpose, and that was purpose for him. He came to his church, and he said, nobody's taking care of the outside like they should. He says, I'll do the gardening, and I'll, I'll keep it up. And every week, he'd go down there and he'd work around the garden and the, the area of the church because it gave him purpose. That was his ministry. He said, I'm not comfortable teaching a class. I'm not comfortable being on the, the board. I, I don't have those gifts, but he said, I can take care of the outside of the church, and I can do that for the Lord because I want to live for him. He didn't become a Christian until he was an adult, but it changed his life, changed the focus. Christ really set the example, didn't he? Let me, let me take you to John chapter 6, verses uh, 38 to 40. Uh, it, it talks about the life of Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 6, verse 38 to 40, Jesus really sets an example for our lives. He teaches us how we're to live and, and what's important for us. says down here, and this is Jesus speaking, he says, For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he's given me, 
All of those he has placed in my hands, I lose nothing. But I raise it up on that last day. I bring it up. Luke chapter 19, and he said, The Father is the one who's given me those individuals. He's the one who's given them to me to care for and to raise up on the last day. You go to Luke chapter 19, verse 10. 19, verse 10. Jesus made a statement here, and possibly you can quote this. I, I quote it enough that it's, it's there for us. It says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You see, his life was purposeful. You go back to Luke chapter 2, verse 40. Jesus had gone down with his uh, parents to uh, the Passover, and they were there at the temple, and when they all went home, somehow Jesus got left behind. Three days later, they found him in the temple, and, and they said, what are you doing? Mary came and said, you're breaking my heart. I don't know if that's exactly how she said it, but it was kind of the idea. Jesus, why are you still here? And he said, don't you know that I have to be about my father's business? Twelve years of age. And he knew what he was doing, and he was about his father's business, and he did not let the Pharisees get in his way. He did not let even those who were closest to him get in his way. I, I, I look back, and it's so easy for people to come in and try and deter us from what God wants us to do. But in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus had told his disciples what was going to happen to him in the 21st or the 23rd verse of Matthew 16. It says, And from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. Oh, but then be raised up on the third day. Somehow they missed that. Peter didn't quite get that raised up part. Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. You know, sometimes even our best friends get in the way of our walking with God, doing what God wants us to accomplishing those things. But Jesus knew his purpose in life. <laughs> he said, Peter, get behind me. You don't know God's will. I know God's will, and it's that I go through exactly what I told you I'm going to go through. Peter was distraught. You don't let people get in and keep you from being where God wants you to be. And so this morning, it's just a matter of knowing what is God's will for me? What is God's desire for me? Well, certainly that I grow in the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. God wants me to do that so I can walk in a manner worthy of him, so that my life is lived out to honor and glorify him. It's important to have that understanding of God's will. The only way you get it is by looking at the Word. And I mentioned these last week. Five, five principles, I think, are important in our lives. And they come from the great commandment and the great commission. And number one is to love the Lord your God. Romans, or I mean, Mark chapter 12 says that. Love Him with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, everything you have. How do you love Him? Well, number one is to honor Him to glorify Him, to worship Him. 
How can I worship God? Well, if I don't know him very well, I can't worship him because I don't know who I'm worshiping. It's important that we get into that. That's one reason that I have a reading um, for five days out of the week as we go through most of the Old Testament this year. Uh, We've already gone through the wisdom books. We've gone through the New Testament in the last two years. Now we want to start with Genesis and and, and go up through the book of Esther and then move to Isaiah and move through the rest of it to Malachi. But as you do that, I I mentioned it earlier, I think you need to get a... uh, a notebook and just say, what does this passage tell me about God? You know, I was doing that through Genesis 1 and 2. It talks about the creation and the power of God, the omnipotence, the omniscience of God. Before anything else was, he created it, the creativity of God. He created us in the image of God. We know that and we understand that that that's special to God, that we're created in His image. Each and every one of us here today was created in the image of God. It's marred by sin, that image, but it's still there. In fact, God told Moses, if somebody takes the life of another man, his life needs to be taken because he's destroyed that which was made in the image of God. Take time to, to read the Bible. Let God talk to you through his word. Take time to communicate with him in prayer. And, and I would encourage you, just set that time aside when you're going to do that. Make sure that, that you come on Sundays to worship with the congregation, but spend time worshiping on your own also. Worship is just declaring his value, his worth, who he is, honoring him. I think if we live for the Lord, we really worship God by our lives. We pray. Those things are important that we do, that we have those priorities down in terms of loving God, that we love others. Man, we care for people in the church. We care for, for their needs, whatever they are. We help them grow. We encourage. We build them up. One thing here at Brentwood Bible Fellowship this year that, that we're going to try and do, and it's not just a program. We need to be sincere. But so often we don't know how to support you and how to pray for you and, and how to be there to encourage you. And so periodically during a year, you're going to have a call come in. Somebody will call you just to say, how are you doing? Not because it's a program, but because we care about you here. You're important. And it's part of that idea of, of loving each other. We want to establish that in this congregation that we love each other. I, I think another way you love somebody is just to to call them, you call them, and take time with them and spend time with them. Maybe go someplace with them. Minister to their needs, or maybe you know of somebody that has a need, and, and you reach out to, to care for that need. There's, there's just ways that we minister. Um, how do you love yourself? You need to sit down and say, what do, what's important for me? Not, not loving myself. Hey, I've got to go to wherever <laughs> five times this year uh, because it's going to be fun. But how do you really love yourself? Number one is to grow in your relationship with God. Number two is to take care of this physical being. I had a friend, I remember I'd just gotten out of seminary and uh, went to a state meeting up there in Oregon. And here was this guy. He'd gone to college with me, junior college. Not what you would call athletic Uh, That was not his thing. He wasn't on any of the sports teams. He'd gone on and he'd finished seminary and he was involved in ministry. And I came up and I looked at him and I said, Wow, Larry, you look good. 
kind of some of this was gone and everything. He says, yeah. I said, what are you doing? He says, oh, I run every day. I said, you run every day? He said, yeah, I run every day. I said, why do you do that? He said, I read an article that said, if I start now and run every day and keep myself in shape, I will extend my ministry by 15 to 20 years. He says, I'm doing it for the Lord. It's, it's finding those goals. Outreach. That's the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Our goal is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, there's a, a great passage on reaching the world in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus was giving the Sermon on the Mount, and in verse 13 he says, You're the salt of the earth. You're the purification agent within the culture in which you live. You bring flavor to it. But if the salt has become tasteless, in other words, you aren't bringing flavor anymore. There's nothing about you that's making a difference. Can it be made salty again? The inference is no. It's no longer for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot, and that's what's happening with the church much of the church in the United States today. Are we salt? Are we light? Listen to what it says. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Boy, it stands out. There it is. You go out here at night and you see the little towns around. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand that it gives light to those who are in the house. Too often we become less involved with the world in which we live rather than more involved. Franklin Graham came down last summer. He was traveling through California, and a few of us went to hear him. And he says, one of my great desires is that people within the Church of Jesus Christ would get involved with the school system, that they would get on the school boards and they would give spiritual input. <laughs> he said, we see less and less of that and less involvement instead of more. And how can we be a light if we're never involved? If we're not there. Fellowship. Identify myself with the body of Christ. It talks about the idea of baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That identifies somebody with the body. Man, how do we, how do we bring about fellowship in the body? It's important. Some people say, oh, it's just getting together for social things. No, when we have our fellowship activities... It's part of those five principles so that we build relationships and we know each other. I thought about fellowship. How do, we, how do we effectively do that in the church? How do we do it as individuals? Well, I came up with one thing is once a month, you, after church, invite somebody to go to lunch that you don't know or at least that you don't know very well. It's easy to go with our best friends. But maybe it's more effective if sometimes we go without our best friends and we build body relationships. Ray Stedman wrote a book on body life, and that's having that relationship throughout the body. And then in terms of discipleship, teaching them to observe all I commanded you, it's that idea of, man, taking in the Word of God, Bible study, uh, being involved in the class over here that David and Lance are teaching in the second service on just going through Scripture, Bible studies that we have during the week. Uh, women's Bible study is going to be starting up again before too long. Hmm? 
Tuesday? This Tuesday. So, ladies, there you are. Um, maybe you want to open your home. Maybe you want to have a study. Uh, I, I think those are important things, but we get into those things and we become part. So I, I would encourage you to take those five things. Number one is, is worship. It's adoration. It's your relationship with God. How do you develop that? Through prayer and study the word. Man, pick up that study on starting in Genesis and just go through it or get involved in the study in Exodus. They're starting in Exodus this week and be part there. Um, ministry. There's a lot of different ways we can minister within the church. There are activities, there are things that need to be accomplished here. You'd say, well, Andy, I'm not good at teaching a class, but I can sure take over some area of ministry in the church in terms of cleaning or uh, being involved in something, and I'd like to do that. Uh, outreach. Being a good neighbor. Letting your neighbors know who you are and being a positive neighbor. I think that's a, that's a good thing we can all do. Pray and say, Lord, I want to share my life with somebody this year. Who is it? You know, most Christians never lead anybody to the Lord. About 90% don't. Lord, I want to be involved in seeing someone come to know you. These are goals. These are the race. You've got to determine your race. What are you going to do? Um... Fellowship, just building those relationships. I also thought about outreach. Uh, Corwin's talked about taking the youth over around the, the grocery store over here and just cleaning up the shrubs and the bushes. I, I think that's great. You know, sometimes we need to do that. Have, have you noticed that, the, you know, they've shut down some of the government? Any of you noticed that? None of you have noticed it. I saw it on the news. They told me. And, and on the news, they were complaining because these national parks weren't getting cleaned up. And I heard these people, and they were all complaining. Yeah, they're not. It's kind of embarrassing to see the way it is, you know. Nobody's taking care of it. I, I wish if we had one around here and that wasn't happening, that two or three of our churches or maybe just one church would say, we're going to go set up over there and we're going to clean it up. We're not going to worry about whether somebody's paid to do it or not. We're just going to go do it because that's a ministry. So many things we can do that are creative. So think about your race. Next week we're going to talk about how to plan for it and how to get involved in it and then how to finish. Because if you don't finish strong, uh, you're not going to win the prize. So I encourage you to think about how to finish and we'll get into that. Let's have a word of prayer and then we're going to uh, move quickly into our communion service. And so we're going to be singing and then going from there. But let's pray. Father, wow, there's a lot here. And... Uh, Jesus set the example for us. The Bible says that we are to be conformed to his image. That's what it says in Romans chapter 8. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Whom he called, he also foreknew. Whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of Jesus. We can talk about the idea of being chosen and called, but Father, if we're unwilling to be conformed, we're really not where we're supposed to be. Help us to do that, Father. To live lives that please you. Help us to determine what the race is. What are we supposed to be doing with our lives? What are we supposed to be doing for tomorrow? How will it enhance our relationships with you? How will it enhance our relationships with our families? 
How can we have stronger marriages and stronger parenting skills? And maybe that's where the race is right now for some of the people here, Father, and they just need to be able to get that down. They want to be stronger in their relationships with their husband or wife or their kids or their parents by the end of 2019 than they are right now. Help them to establish the race that needs to be run. We don't have to do it all, Father. We just need to get started. Help us do that. Thank you, Father. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.